Hello, listeners. Welcome to Strength and Recovery Podcast. I'm your host, Jay Rodenbush, Director of Alumni Engagement for Recovery Centers of America. We are at our Capital Region location outside of D.C., and I am with Cliff Johnson. He's an alum of RCA and also with our amazing senior alumni coordinator, L'Oreal. Uh, and we just wrapped up an alumni meeting here. And uh, we were just sitting, talking about the group tonight and just um, what support people get from, from tonight. What, how has that been helpful to you, Cliff, as far as just coming back, being in the facility, getting a community? Yeah, the alumni group has been a huge help for me uh, because it showed me when I was in here that there was hope. There were um, people who had left RCA and continue to come back Thursdays uh, to share their experience and strength and hope. Um, so I knew after coming to my first meeting that I wanted to be one of those um, people to share my experience. Uh, so it's been a huge help to my recovery uh, by just seeing others who walk the walk and not only talk the talk, but also walk the walk. Mm-hmm. And L'Oreal, there's always coffee and donuts. Yes. Is that correct? Yes. Is that the key to a good meeting? I think so. And I think <laughs> if I change it up, <laughs> I'm, I'm doing a disservice. I heard that tonight. Somebody yeah. said, my Thursdays are very much about, what Alumni, did you say? L'Oreal, and co- uh, donuts. <laughs> yes. In that order. Yeah. <laughs> yes. And I think it's important, you know, to, for people to have. You know, I've heard him say, like, I, I feel peace when I walk in here. And, uh, you know, this is a place. I had a uh, one of the alums from Indianapolis say they, they would just drive around the parking lot when they were struggling because mm-hmm. it was a place where they felt peaceful. And so coming back to these facilities, being together, mm-hmm. seeing patients. Um, here we're allowed to have patients come to the alumni meeting. And I, I think that's so powerful just to have that interaction. Yeah. And to see the patients tonight who it was their first alumni meeting say, oh, I'm coming back next week. And, and they haven't been here very long, maybe right. seven days, maybe 14 days. Um, but to get that interaction, uh, were you able to come as a patient to one of the alumni? I was. Um, my second week here, I was able to attend. Um, and, yeah, that's that's where it all started. That's where my um, passion to help others and share the message started. Well, thank you so much for being here, for agreeing to talk to us tonight. And um, would you mind just walking us through what led you to RCA? I don't mind at all. Um, I was <clears throat> started drinking uh, at an early age, 14, um, and I never was the one that thought I had a problem. Um, I just liked to party. I drank on the weekends, um, and I smoked weed a lot, and I didn't think that that was an issue either. Then... Starting around um, probably around college time, my drinking progressed and I, you know, escalated from beer to liquor and still didn't think I had an issue. Then as I got older, um, I had lost both my parents in 2019 and my parents were both suffered from addiction. And I kind of think I picked up their habits uh, after they passed. So, um around 2020 was when things escalated uh, and I drank a lot and um, also dabbled in other substances. Then 2021, I had, um, I went on this diet and I lost a lot of weight, uh, 60 pounds in six months to be exact. And I thought that if I changed my drink from Bacardi and Coke to Patron, I would 
continue to lose weight. What I picked up when I started doing that was I started blacking out every time I drank. Mm-hmm. So, um, because I drank Patron on the rocks, no chaser. And um, <clears throat> then became the car wrecks. You know, mm-hmm. I, January 2021, I had totaled one vehicle, uh, hit somebody else in the car. And that was March of that same year. I got in another accident, totaled another car. And then uh, May of that year, I got a, D, a DUI. So that was three that I had within five months. So you're dealing with loss of your parents. COVID is happening, yeah. pandemic, the stress of that. And now consequences are starting to hit. Yes. Yeah. That's a lot yeah. at one time. Yeah, it was. And I never really dealt with grief at all. Mm-hmm. Um, when I lost my parents, I, I never shed a tear. I never really thought about um I kind of just, life went on, you know. Mm -hmm. Um, Before then, I had a lot of death in my family as well. I lost a a cousin of mine who was like a brother to me Mm. uh, early on. And I had a very good friend of mine who was murdered. I had another friend of mine commit suicide. I had all these things that were happening that I never really dealt with because I didn't know how. It just, you know, to me, it was like, okay, people die, life goes on. Mm -hmm. Um, So when my parents died, I had that same mentality where it was like, people die, life moves on. but obviously that wasn't healthy because what I was doing is I was suppressing feelings that I had by using alcohol and substances. Wow. I think we underestimate the role of grief in a lot of mental health and addiction issues. Absolutely. And um, I think it's really easy to kind of throw that off, like you said, just mm-hmm. put it off to the side and I'm dealing with it and it's, it's part of life. Right. Um, but we start medicating or self-medicating in other ways yes. just to, to, to deal with the cycle of grief that we, that we haven't yeah. Absolutely. been willing to, to deal with. So things aren't going well. No. Consequences <laughs> are stacking up. Yeah. And uh, when's the moment where you say, I need help? I was, uh, I was sitting in my basement and I was on a four day bender and I, it was father's day and my kids come into the room to bring me my father's day gift. And I didn't know it was father's day Mm. and they open the door and I'm just immediately get angry um, because they're bursting in on me and they're like, happy father's day. And I sat there and I, it, it really hit me at that point. It was like, as I looked at them next to them were, uh, five court papers that I had, you know, court appearances for that were coming up. And it really was like, you you need help. And I, I didn't believe in therapy. I didn't believe in um, treatment centers. Um, I, I didn't know where to go for help. Mm-hmm. And my, uh, my boss, who's also a good friend of mine, called me at the same moment after all this happened. He says, um, you should go to a treatment center. And he he actually said you should go to rehab is the words he used and immediately i hung up the phone on him and i yelled at my wife i said why did you tell him i'm doing x and he said she said i didn't tell him anything and i said why is he saying i should go to rehab she said, i don't know so i called my boss back up i said how did you know i was doing this you know why why are you telling me to go to rehab he says i was telling you to go to rehab for your drinking and he said i didn't even think about that yeah. <laughs> i didn't know that was on the radar so immediately I knew, I said, okay, I need to go get help because that was just, it was, it was God's way of showing me that I needed. You said you didn't believe in rehab. You didn't believe in, in therapy. Where did that come from? Um, probably early on, like in my household, like we just didn't tell people our problems. 
uh, we didn't talk about things that were bothering us. You just, you know, especially as a man, you would, I thought that you should just bottle it up and move on the best you could. Kind of man up. Yeah, exactly. Man up. That was, uh, that's how I was raised and thought I was taught to, you know, Mm -hmm. deal with things. Um, So I I definitely didn't think a treatment center was going to help me. I came here trying to lessen the jail sentence or get out of trouble, so to speak. You know, I definitely didn't think I was coming here to recover. Wow. And so uh, you, at that point, you say to your wife, how do you choose, uh, how do you, how do you know who to call? Um, The same boss who called me and told me I needed help. He had already sent me a a link to this location and said, you know, that you had a good boss. Oh, he's a great friend. He's a great friend, a phenomenal boss. Um, He sent me a link to this place and said, you should go check. And just for someone in a position of leadership or authority to um, take that interest and to break down the stigma. Yes. Yeah. Even in with you. I mean, you're dealing with it. That's just a that's a real. Yeah. So, Gift. so I called RCA uh, that same day and they said, okay, we'll send somebody to come pick. I said, no, 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 I can't go right now. <laughs> Wait said, a minute. Yeah. yeah. We're quick on <laughs> yeah. the draw. We said, know no. that window of opportunity is pretty short. <laughs> right. I said, no, I can't go right now. I said, um, and at the position I was, uh, I was a director at my company. So uh, my role at my office is vital. It was very critical. I, there was no way I could go away for a month, you mm. know, um, so I told the gentleman that I talked to on the phone, I said, please, you know, I just want to do a 14-day stay. He said, no, 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 I think you should do 30 days. Um, I said, well, I need at least two weeks so I can get my affairs in order with work. No, 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 we're going to come get you now. I said, no, I, I, I have to wait at least <laughs> a week, you know. Um, so we negotiated on a week. And he says, okay, uh, the following Monday, I said, I agreed I would, you know, uh, bring myself in. And my wife was very supportive. She said, okay, I'll, I'll take you in on Monday. And I remember I was so nervous. I was just, like, still trying to get out of it. Like, oh, you know what? Maybe we should do another week. You know, let's wait another week. And she said, no, you need to go now, you know. Mm-hmm. So, um, so yeah, I, I came in, and I remember pulling up in the driveway in the little circle up here. And um, I, I was very nervous because I don't know what I thought it was going to be like. But mm-hmm. I thought, it, I, in my mind, I thought it was going to be jail, you know. Mm-hmm. And... It was. I was pleasantly surprised that it wasn't. From the moment I walked in, the staff greeted me at the door, um, very kind to me, gave me beautiful, comfortable pajamas <laughs> to wear, <laughs> um, and, and yeah, it was. That was the beginning of my experience. I walked in the hallway and I saw the pictures of the celebrities that were uh, that have been recovered. Um, and the first thing I remember thinking, I was like, "Wow, I know that person. I know this person." And it was immediate fill of hope. You know, I, I saw. Steve-O was the one that stuck out to me the most because I knew I had heard his story and I had heard how his life got better. Mm-hmm. You know, Robert De Niro, I remember hearing his story and how he um, got all these great movie deals when he got sober, you know. So it was the immediate feeling of hope, that there's hope a better way. I still didn't surrender. I still didn't give myself um, the grace to know that this was going to work, mm-hmm. you know. But I, I knew that there was hope um, that there could be a better way. So was there a moment, what, did it come in this building or where that surrender happened? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Day three. Day, Day three, three from, yeah. So the first day I came in, I stayed in my room a lot. I didn't, I went to maybe two meetings mm-hmm. that day. And then um, the next morning I, I got, a, I went to bed so early because they made us go to sleep at like nine, ten o'clock. <laughs> so I woke up so early and they had uh, 7 a.m. 
Sun, it wasn't Sunday service. It was a morning service where it was just about meditation and um, mindfulness. Mm-hmm. And Pastor Ken was the gentleman who led that. <clears throat> and that was the beginning of my transformation. I didn't know it at the time, but I remember vividly that he stated, you know, the way that we speak um, in our day-to-day lives dictates how our day will go. You know, if we go around using curse words and using language that is negative, we'll have negativity in our life. But if we speak with positivity and love and compassion, we'll have that kind of day. That was the very first moment that I knew. I was like, man, that's deep. Like, let me try that. Let me try to speak with love and compassion instead of... Maybe this therapy thing has a shot. Yeah, I wasn't... I still wasn't there. I just knew that guy. I said, he has something. He's on to something. I still wasn't there to you know, the thought of like therapy mm-hmm. or, or someone else um, helping me change my life. But I knew that, that that moment of him saying, what you put out, you will get back in return, mm-hmm. you know? So that was, that was day one. And then I went to meetings all day um, that day. And uh, I met Tim, um, great guy who was very passionate about what he does mm-hmm. and, and spoke a lot of truth. And, and he almost knew my story, you know? Uh, and then was Tammy, who's amazing. And, you know, her story was very passionate as well. Um, and then John, I can go on and on. There's so many great people mm-hmm. at this facility that have changed my life. I think what what I hear you saying is you were hearing people's experience. Yes. And they'd been in your shoes. Yes, yes. And that was, okay, there's something here. There, yeah, that was the beginning for me. With, uh-huh. with the moment that it actually changed was that um, I remember I was in a group session with Tammy and she described it as an allergy. She said, I have an allergy, you know, and that if <clears throat> as long as I put any substance in my body, I would activate that allergy. I would trigger that allergy. She and, started throwing some big book at you. Oh, it was amazing. <laughs> yes, it, it was amazing because that's that I could identify with, yeah. you know, um, again, because I didn't think I had a problem. You know, I never identified as one who had a problem. I thought an alcoholic was someone who sat outside the liquor store and waited for it to open. Mm-hmm. I didn't drink every day. Mm-hmm. I just drank on the weekends. I'm just partying. I'm having a good time. You know, I'm not the, the what I thought was a per- person who was an alcoholic or an addict. Um, but when she mentioned that, you know, you have this allergy and as soon as you put any substance in your body, it triggers the body's cravings and the mind will tell you anything to get more. And I knew that. I said, you know what, that's me because I had been to happy hours and had two drinks because I was around coworkers. But immediately after I left that happy hour, I'd have to go to another bar, you know? Um, so it was never a moment where I could just socially drink and, and be okay, mm-hmm. you know? So that after that meeting, I, um, I went into my room and I remember really thinking, and I wrote down a lot of situations that had happened in my life, mistakes that I had made because of drinking, um, and, and really looking at people I had hurt also, mm-hmm. you know, because I remember telling my wife many times that I'm not hurting anybody. I'm just hurting myself. Mm-hmm. You know, like I, that was always my excuse. I always had so many dumb excuses that this is why it's okay. You know? Um, but that night when I got pen to paper and I started thinking about, you know, the people who I had actually hurt, uh, because of my drinking and using, that's when things really, um, I like to call them aha moments. That's mm-hmm. when the aha moment went off for me. Yeah. So I knew I needed to find a new way to live and a better way of life. So, Loria, when's the first time you remember seeing Cliff? I remember when he came to the inpatient. When he was inpatient, he came to the alumni meeting. He was like, this is nice. <laughs> and then, like, I like it. And then I want to say, if it wasn't your first week you came back, mm-hmm. it was like, 
if he's not coming back, if he's not going to make it, he'll let me know. Mm-hmm. And I like that communication. It's like, I'm going out of town this week. I won't be there, but I'll see you next week. And I love how he takes the newcomer in mm-hmm. and gives them that message. So from when he was impatient to it'll be a year next month. Yeah. And it's been a journey that I just seen him grow as a alumni and bringing a newcomer back and just talking and keeping that message going because he started off with a group of 20 mm-hmm. and I've seen him dwindle down. I watch him lose friends. You you went through that tonight mm-hmm. just really in a poignant way like to try to you know you're you're talking to people who are going through this now and and you're you're in a treatment facility you kind of ha- build a bond with other people that you're here with um can you talk a little bit about that and, absolutely and yeah. how that does change yeah somewhat yeah when i when i left here <clears throat> uh july 10th 2022 i left with uh 20 phone numbers 20 good friends who i call brothers um mm-hmm. We had a group text. We talked every morning. We we ended the night with "I love you." I mean, it was like things I'd never say to another man. You know, mm-hmm. it, that's that's the kind of relationship we had. Um, and then after the first week, we lost probably three, and then we lost five, and then we lost ten, and it just dwindled away. And and sometimes it's due to substance. Sometimes it's due to life. Sometimes, it, oh yeah, it's... yeah, one hundred percent. And I, I don't know that everyone is back out. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I just know that the communication was lost. You know, yeah. and and that's something. Um, any relationship, you know, yeah. when you lose someone who you love and care about, you know, and they no longer speak to you, it hurts, you mm-hmm. know. So that was a, a a moment that I had to really put in check. And I had to talk to my sponsor about, um, hey, this is happening and it, it's affecting me. I'm having a feeling about this. And you had that support system. Yes. And now it feels like it's dwindling. Yes. Yes. You're going through loss and grief again. Yes. And you got to deal with that. Yeah, it's 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 a feeling for sure that uh, is uncomfortable, you know. And you said uh, tonight, I I heard you say you've got to find new people. Yes. You You can't just let that dwindle. You have to replace. Yes. Yeah. You have to find people who are not using and who have found a new way of life. That is paramount. It's for me. It's important for my recovery because the support system is a huge part of my recovery, and that's what we have here at Alumni. Um, I, I met a new group of friends through the alumni who come every Thursday, and if they don't come on Thursdays, like L'Oreal said, we, we reach out and say, hey, I can't make it this week. It's mm-hmm. it's just a, a family. You know, mm-hmm. it, it becomes a family. So um, for me, I, I look forward to that. And how important is it to have, yes, you've got the people that are at the same level as you, right? Mm-hmm. How important is it to also have some support from people who are at further along in their journey? Maybe, okay, I've got somebody who's at the same point, you know, our sobriety dates are similar or, but I also are, am looking for people who maybe have a year, maybe have 10 years, even the people that got 25 years. Yeah, absolutely. So I will say this, the, when I first started going to meetings outside of RCA, that was, um, uh, it was intimidating, you know, to hear people that have 25 years. Because here I am, I couldn't get 25 days before. And, you know, I, I'm in a room full of people who have 25, 30 years clean. So it was very intimidating to think that, you know, they could relate to my story. You know, I didn't think they understood what I had been through. Mm-hmm. What I learned uh, by going to meetings and, and listening uh, is that you start to learn to identify in. I identify with what they have been through. Because those those 
uh, people, even with the, the uh, long clean time, they're still only one arm's length away from picking up. You know, so it's very important that you listen to what they're doing today um, to stay clean. And the fact that they're still going to meetings after 25, 30 years, mm-hmm. you know, it speaks volume. That's why they're going, because people like me who just come in, they give them hope. I give them hope. You know, um, that's how it works. It's a the program is all about giving back what was so freely given to me. You know, and I said that tonight as well, because it is very important for me to make sure that I'm sharing my experience because it does. It reminds me of where I was and where I came from. Mm-hmm. So, I think it's beautiful. And, and to watch you tonight, it wasn't even just the meeting. I mean, you show leadership there. But I think the meeting after the meeting, yes. right? Yes, yes. <laughs> My favorite part. <laughs> Talk to me a little bit about the meeting after the meeting. Yeah. So I just I tell the guys, the new guys, um, you know, what happened to me when I got out of here. I, I recommend to everyone 90 and 90 going to 90 meetings in 90 days, very mm-hmm. important. Um, and making sure that they get numbers, as many numbers as possible, and I make sure I share my number, you know, mm-hmm. because I will be that person that you can reach out to mm-hmm. um, if, if you need anything at all to find a meeting. When I left RCA, it was very hard for me to find a meeting. Mm-hmm. They, they mentioned that it's uh, meetings are everywhere. You can find a meeting anywhere. The very first three meetings I looked up, they were closed buildings. And that, yeah, that was, that was tough. I, I will not forget that. So, that helps me with the newcomer because I went to two churches and one building. They were all closed the first day I got out of here. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. So that was that was discouraging because then it becomes a, a mindset of like, well, you know. They said they were everywhere. Yeah, exactly. They said this is everywhere and, and they're nowhere. And, and, you know, maybe I just I won't waste my time. You know, like you start to have those thoughts. Um, but then, you know, and then I tried the Zoom thing. And for me, Zoom didn't work because I didn't get it wasn't personal enough. Mm-hmm. You know, um, there, there were thousands of people on zoom and it was like no this is not yeah. at all what i thought it would be um but you know they they also tell you you know you don't stop there you keep going you know keep coming back yes right? keep coming yeah. back keep coming back it's very important so i i, I did i i looked at meetings in other areas you yeah. know and um so my journey started you know day two i i went to two meetings the, the next day and then i just continued to go to meetings when i went to that one meeting i got a pamphlet that had a list of meetings to go to so I just kept going to different meetings, and they I, have kind of different personalities, absolutely. different groups, and you—it's kind of you, you got to try it on, right? Yes, one hundred percent. It's you know, it's like dating. Mm-hmm. You know, you you got to keep going out there and trying until you find your match. You know, um, what speaks to you. And going to the same meeting that you didn't care for once, it may be different the next time based absolutely. on the speaker or just you know. Yeah, absolutely. I always say, don't make a judgment about a meeting based on your first. No. Go around. No, no, no. Yeah, you, you keep trying, definitely. And um, if if the meeting was, you know, I went to a meeting uh, early on where it was just me and two other people. Wow. And that was, uh, I was like, oh, gosh, you know. Um, and then I went back the next week and it was still those same two people. So I was like, what are we going to talk about? You know, like, <laughs> we, we I heard everything last week, you know. But what happens to me, and this is uh, the God of my understanding, he always puts me in the right place um, mm-hmm. to hear what I need to hear, you know. Because I met those two guys, and I won't forget this either. He didn't share the first time. Um, he just kind of listened. The next time he shared, he shared my exact story. Wow. You know, and that, that's when I knew. I said, okay, I'm in the right place, you know. Um, but I didn't, I didn't go back to that meeting after that because, again, I wanted to branch out and find mm-hmm. more meetings. Um, so, yeah, I would just tell anybody who's new to just keep going Definitely keep coming back and, and um, until you find your niche, your group yeah. of people that, you know, you can relate to. Yeah. 
So. Um, let's go back, if you don't mind. I don't mind. You're 14. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I'm a parent of teenage kids. <clears throat> you know, and we always think we would know what's going on or we would, we would be able to intervene or mm-hmm. what was going on with you at 14? Uh, I was trying to fit in, you know, <clears throat> what I didn't know then that I do know now is that early on, um, I had this need to, to fit in, you know, I grew up in Washington DC and, um, I was, I got picked on because I was a slight skin and then I moved to Virginia when I was 14 and then I got picked on because I was dark skinned. You know, it was just that kind of thing. So I always never really fit in. Um, and when I started smoking weed and drinking, you know, I felt like I fit in. You had a crowd. I had a crowd. I had a, I had a family, so mm. to speak, you know. And I just wanted to be a part of something, you know. And I thought that that made me the life of the party. I, always, I was always known for being wild. I was always known for being fun. Um, so I had a place. I had. I felt like I had a purpose. So that became your identity. <clears throat> yes. Pretty quickly. I mean, or was this? You were just doing this on the weekends at fourteen, yeah. or yeah. you know, how quickly did that kind of consume you? No, no, no. It was just on the weekends, but it, it still it was it was definitely a habit, mm-hmm. even though it was only on the weekends. Because I played sports. Um, I was pretty good at school, um, meaning grade wise, and then but on the weekends we would get wild, and that's how my life. You know, even it just hit me just now saying it. That's how my life went, you know, mm-hmm. because at 14, it was just on the weekends and then it just kept going. All I, I would work from school, then it went to work. So I would work and I would be very passionate about my job. And then on the weekends, I would go crazy. You know, it was that's how I lived my life. And you were able to manage for yes a while. Yes. Yes. I, I Work wise and family wise, I felt like I was able to manage up until now, you know, mm-hmm. um, it was the police that didn't man- that I didn't manage well, yeah. but no, I, um, yeah, I, I was able to manage. I always had a job. I always had a house. I had a car. So I thought my life was manageable. And your parent today, what do you? And and genetics plays a role, right? Yes. And and you said your parents, mm-hmm. alcoholics, alcoholics and drug addicts. And so you, you've kind of got that. How are you parenting differently? The, the beauty that I think <clears throat> um, is that, first of all, I am present today. You know, I, I've always been a provider, but I wasn't present. Oh, that's, you know? that's really beautiful. Yeah, so I'm present today. That, that's the beauty that I have found in recovery. And I think the other thing is my kids, uh, my kids are older now. I have a 21-year-old um, down to a uh, 12-year-old, you know. And four children, by the way. Wow. Yes. <laughs> so the beauty, I think, is that, you know, my kids have seen the bad side of me as well. Uh-huh. Um, they've seen me drunk and they've seen me act a fool, you know. And at the time, I think they probably thought I was the fun dad. But they now see the recovery process, you know. So that's I'm very grateful today that they get to see that part because uh, they see the work that I put in. Uh-huh. Um, they see the changes I'm, I'm making. And, and I want them to know that. You know, my 21-year-old's in college, and she may be drinking. I know she's drinking, you know. And, and if things do get out of hand, that she knows that there is a program and there is help and hope, mm-hmm. you know. Again, because it goes back to me not knowing that there was help or hope. How transparent are you with your older children? They're very transparent. They know everything about my addiction. They know about my alcohol abuse. Um, they, they, 
my kids, unfortunately, um, were there when I got my third DUI. You know, we were in Ocean City and I was driving and um, I had checked them into a hotel room and I was doing some work at a restaurant. And after work, the owner of the business asked me if I wanted to have some drinks. I said yes. And then I drove home and I got a DUI. They locked me up. My kids, I was on my way to pick my children up to go have dinner. Mm. My children had to stay in that hotel room, couldn't get in contact with me, didn't know what was going on. Yeah. And they unfortunately, you know, then they start calling my wife. Hey, he was supposed to be here hours ago. We don't know what happened. So they had to know um, what happened, you know. So <clears throat> very, very transparent into um, what had happened. And I explained to them after I left RCA, I said, listen, this is what I didn't know. I, I didn't realize that I had an allergy. I didn't realize that I was an addict, you know, and this is how I've learned. And this is what I'm doing to grow from it. So I want them to understand the triggers and the, the things that we suppress feelings by trying to numb out with alcohol and substances. So I, I, I definitely don't want them to make the same mistakes I made. And how do you talk to them about therapy, about stigma of... So two of my children, uh, my daughters, are both in therapy right now um, because I want them to understand that they, they actually chose to go to therapy without me. Mm-hmm. Um, they, they already have no problem needing to communicate with someone else. I think we're doing better. Like yes. this generation <laughs> yes. is very open they are. They to are. their feeling. They want, they want that, yeah. right? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, my kids are so much smarter than I ever was. They, <laughs> they're great. Um, they, they, yeah. So I didn't need to tell them about therapy. What I needed to do is I needed to be honest about mm. that it's okay, you know, to to ask for help, you know, to, to sit down and say something's not right. And, and uh, if you can help me, um, I'd love to tell you about it. So that's that's what they that's I'm here now. Again, going back to being present, I'm here now for them to open up and talk to if they ever have anything that needs to be communicated. That's great. Thank you. It's really great. And starting the family's recovery. L'Oreal, do you want to talk to a little bit about that? Just how the families, it's not just your recovery, right? Right. There's a recovery process that the family does. Yeah. Yes. Because once, once a person goes to treatment, I think they go home thinking everything is going to go back to what they mm-hmm. consume normal. And the family has a whole process of healing. I know... It takes, you know, a family a while to do it. So I always say family therapy or how involved, your, you know, you want to be with their significant other if they go through that. But you have to think about your family is PTSD that, you know, you're getting in the car. It took me whiles to just trust. You know, my mom said, I'm going to the store when she moved in with me. It's like, I'll take you. It took years to understand, like, we have to get our guard down, you know, our triggers as well. So it's like you people say, oh, no, I'm fine. I believe I'm good. But the family still has to unpack their trauma. And that's the stuff that people doesn't look like. So when a, one person recovers, no, the whole family recover. Mm-hmm. So taking that little step and being transparent, which I think is great with your children, because the I don't say the earlier they know, but the sooner they can understand, mm-hmm. um, because there's so much stuff they got to unpack as well, um, you know, what's going on in their life. So I think the family, getting them involved and being honest with them is the best thing anyone in recovery can do, because they can learn so much with Al-Anon and um, just even support groups, period. So right. I definitely think getting the family piece brings it full circle. I think there's a tendency to, when somebody's going through that, 
to sweep it under the rug or don't let anybody, especially, I think, you know, different families choose different paths, but I think there's a fair amount of people who we better not talk about this to the kids. Yeah. And they talk about that in meetings. Um, that there's a saying that if you, what you don't let off your chest, you'll carry on your back, mm-hmm. you know? So if I, if I choose to sweep it under the rug and not discuss it, what I'm doing is I'm holding in guilt and I'm holding mm-hmm. in resentments within could lead me to using again, you know? And I think, I think when we un- understand the disease better, we understand this isn't just a moral issue. There are genetics involved yes. and, and letting children of alcoholics and addicts know hey this runs in your bloodline too yeah. and, and we have to discuss it openly as a family because it could be something you're up against or your children are up against right. um i think becomes a very powerful message and really helps when we understand it to reduce that stigma piece going back to what i was saying that's the uh biggest part for me is like i never knew how to admit that i had a problem right mm. and and a lot of people believe that you shouldn't talk about, you know, being in recovery or the program that you're in. Um, I, I disagree with that, though, because by me sharing my experience, you know, I, you never know who you're helping, you know. And that's um, w- once you understand that, you know, I am an addict and like you mentioned, you know, educating myself about the disease I have, you know, once I know what's wrong, I know how to fix it. You mm-hmm. can't diagnose a problem that you don't know what's wrong, yeah. you know. Once you understand and you have a little education, that's a tool that you can use. I think the one of the, my favorite things about the treatment setting is just the opportunity to get that psychoeducation, mm-hmm. like to learn about the brain, to learn about the disease model, to learn all, all the stuff that goes along with it, that yeah. it's not just, um, you know, this, this big moral failing, right. uh, you know, <clears throat> or, or my personality, but there's... Yeah. There's this medical piece. There's science behind it. There's science. <laughs> yes. 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 I see that you have on an NA shirt. When you first left Recovery Center of America, would you wear one proudly then, or did it take courage? No, I didn't. Um, it's a great question. I, I did not. Um, I wouldn't wear an NA shirt. I wouldn't wear an NA chain, which I also have on. I, I wouldn't. Uh, I wouldn't tell anybody I was in recovery. Um, it, it. I think for me, it was more knowing. Because when I got out and the few friends that I had that knew that I went to treatment, I started getting phone calls and saying, hey, you know, I think I have a problem, too, and I want to get help. Mm. So once I posted, I think I posted my three-month uh, chip, and I started getting phone calls. I said, you know what? This is not something I want to hide anymore. Um, I could help more people by sharing the message um, Rather than, and I think I shared this to you as well. I, you know, um, my brother-in-law. I when I got out, I immediately called him as soon like the day I got out, and I was like, "Man, we got this allergy. Like this is this thing, you know. <laughs> like there's a whole science behind it." Um, and, and my brother's clean now, you know. So wow. that was. Um, I immediately saw the benefit of what I got from RCA. You know, the message because uh, there's people that don't know, just like mm-hmm. I didn't know. You know, so. Yeah, I wear it proudly today because uh, you never know who you can help. So, and you said yeah. you have a real connection to Father's Day. Yes. Will you, will <laughs> my, you tell my, us about that? Yeah, absolutely. My clean date is June 20th. Um, so June 19th last year was Father's Day. Mm-hmm. And uh, that was the last time I used. So 
uh, very gut-riching moment for me because um, my, it was my, my kid's first time seeing me, you know, really in that setting of darkness, depression, and, um, you know, they, I had had drinks around them before, but they had never seen me in that dark moment. And that was definitely a, a motivation for me to, to come to RCA because, um, yeah, I, I always told myself I was okay because they didn't know. You know, that was one of the things that I prided myself on that, you know, you're okay. Nobody knows what you're doing. It's, it's a secret, you know. And then just like they tell you, is it's a progressive disease. It progressively gets worse. And here I am now in my house with my kids home, you know, um, and they're, they're seeing it firsthand. So that, that was definitely a, a moment that I was ashamed of, you know. And if someone would have told you in that moment a year from now, hmm. you'd be sitting in this chair. I would have told them they were crazy. I, I Again, I did not come here to recover, you know. Mm-hmm. I came here to stay out of jail. Um, but I'm thankful that I, I did hear the message. I, I'm really thankful that uh, my God of my understanding gave me the willingness and the open mind to, to hear what they were teaching, mm-hmm. you know, because that that's ultimately what led to me putting in the action. And what's life like? now amazing amazing (laughs) um my wife and i are very happy Uh, again i spend lots of time with my kids um the the biggest thing i want to touch on though for anyone who is listening who may be struggling with giving up their lifestyle because that was a big part for me is that i i glamorized my lifestyle that i lived you know um I, I thought there was no way I could go to football games and not drink. I could go, I could have a birthday without drinking. Um, how would I live? How, what would be fun? You know, I, I remember thinking to myself in that room by myself saying, when somebody asks you, what's your hobby? What are you going to say besides drinking? Because I didn't have a hobby besides drinking. You know, that's, that was my pastime. That was what was fun to me. Um, Today, I have plenty of hobbies. You know, one of the first things I did when I got out of here was I went home and tie-dyed T-shirts and socks with my kids because I learned that in here. So you're the tie-dye guy. Yes, <laughs> See, yes. I, I just made that connection. Yes. L'Oreal's been telling me somebody comes back and helps her tie-dye. Yeah, but yeah, I yeah. didn't... I, I mean, all due respect, you're big... You don't look like the tie-dye guy. No, I, I wouldn't. Before this place, I wouldn't have tie-dyed anything. Um, and I also wouldn't have done crossword puzzles or I wouldn't have done puzzles at all or, or games, you know, but... Um, those are the things I learned in here. They have a class that they, they call fun and recovery, yeah. you know, and that's where I learned those things. I, I learned healthy habits, you know, things that my kids love. Um, and it, it is, it, it really is about finding healthy habits, finding things that I can do, um, that don't involve drinking and don't mm-hmm. involve using, you know, so those, those are the things I enjoy today. Um, so you, back to your question about what's my life like today, I go to football games, um, and we, I make mocktails, you know, um, very good drinks with soda water and, and guava juice that everybody loves, you know. Um, I have a group of friends. You're still the life of the party. Oh, I am. I am. Even more so, I think. Because now, you know what, I wake up and, and I don't have a hangover. I remember everything that happened, you know. Yeah. Um, it doesn't rob your personality. No. I think that's a fear, right? Yeah. Like, that I'm not going to be myself or I'm not. I, I'm going to be boring. You and know? you're more yourself yeah oh yeah I'm I'm really myself now yeah you know because another thing I didn't realize I had a good friend of mine who I thought was a friend of mine and through my drinking days and she told me sober she said oh I hated you you know she said every time I saw you you would get drunk and you were loud and obnoxious I said really I thought you loved me (laughs) you know (laughs) 
but yeah, no, it's you know I don't have to I don't have to apologize for anything today. Um, yeah. You know, it, life is good today. Life You're authentic today. Yes, yes, very authentic. Uh, we usually end with favorite recovery quote. Do you have one? Uh, yes, I, I have many, but I think the one that sticks out to me today, um, don't use no matter what, uh, because that, that is something that people don't really adhere to, you know, mm-hmm. um, things get better. You know, I, I used right. to think that in this moment, things are very grim and bad and, you know. One one person shared in a meeting that I went to that the temporary pleasure that you will get from using, you don't give yourself a chance to know that the pleasure is so much greater saying no. Mm. You know, so you may get a brief moment of happiness from drinking when, on a bad day. But when you say no to that drink, it's a whole week of pleasure, you know. Um, and, and he's right. That mm. That's, you know, that's one of the things that sticks with me today and that healthy pride that says i i'm doing this absolutely absolutely and that self-respect that comes from yeah i I feel strong today i feel Mm -hmm. very strong today one day at a time um the other thing that i didn't know was uh there's so many more things that i'm addicted to other than uh drugs and alcohol you know that's that's a good point yeah that that's what you really have to get to the root of it right because that's that's what the 12 steps offers me it offers me freedom from addiction any addiction Mm -hmm. you know uh, as long as i follow the steps um i i truly believe this that if the world had a 12-step program we would live in a better world today i agree completely advice to dads uh, I w- my advice would be give yourself a chance and and um, be the person that you want to be for your children. I think we all all fathers have a, a inner feeling that they want to, their children to be proud of them. Mm-hmm. And if you give yourself a chance without doing drugs or alcohol, I think that that can be a reality for you. That's awesome. Thanks. Thank you both so much, L'Oreal Cliff, for um, being with us today, for your work with our alumni. Um, it, it, you're really making a difference and um, appreciate the sacrifices you make to, to be a leader in this community, Cliff. Thank you. And um, looking forward to our uh, Memorial Day outing this weekend. Yes. And uh, Speaker Jam, you guys um, on the podcast can go watch the video. It should be released by now. Where we're getting ready, uh, leading up for that Memorial Day reunion. Uh, so it was speaker jam. Speaker jam. Yeah. Yes. Absolutely. Yes. I call yes. it reunion. We do homecoming later in the year. Yeah. Yes. yes. But um, come out and, and, and watch that video and, and see all the good things that happen. Fun and recovery. And if you or someone you know needs help today, you can call us at 1-833-RCA-ALUM. And there are members of our Mission Center team standing by, ready to help you, ready to get you transportation and get you into treatment and and get help. I'd also like to say if you have questions for the podcast, you can go to our Instagram page, Strength and Recovery. We would love to answer some of your questions from a panel, so please um, shoot us some questions. Um, I'm going to be working on some projects later. If you have ideas for the podcast, um, shoot over to our Instagram page and say hello. Have a great day and look forward to being with you again soon.
Thank you for listening to the Strength and Recovery Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please tap the subscribe button and leave us a review. We love hearing from our listeners and hope to reach more of you out there as we continue to share these incredible stories of recovery. The RCA alumni team aims to provide a safe, supportive environment for those in the recovery community, regardless of their affiliation with RCA. We host a full calendar of virtual and in-person meetings seven days a week, 365 days a year, as well as free sober events every month. To learn more about what we do, find us at rcaalumni.com. Remember, if you or a loved one is struggling with addiction, pick up the phone and dial 1-833-RCA-ALUM. Help is available 24-7. Listen to another episode now or join us next time for the Strength and Recovery Podcast.